This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. Kawhi turns the corner for the win. Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Clip and Roll. I'm your host, Justin Russo. Hello, I'm other guy, Farbad. Today, we are joined by Shane Young from Forbes Sports. Shane, what's going on, man? I guess I'm the other other guy, and I'm doing great on this evening. And it feels like we haven't seen basketball in years, and it kind of feels weird, but I'm doing great. I feel great with the hiatus or the break, the all-star break. It's not a hiatus. Last year was a hiatus. This is a break. I feel great with the break. I don't mind it at all. It was a. Uh, it was definitely very needed. Yeah, I, f- I felt everything was so condensed that like you almost like burned out. Yeah, it was just like I don't know how many times I can watch the same game over and over and over and over right now. Yeah, I get it. All right, so this you're gonna you people are being treated to <laughs> what? I was laughing because you said you people. <laughs> oh, stop! Don't do that. Um. <laughs> You're an ass. Um, now, see, I screwed up my train of thought, man. Uh, everybody, you're being treated to three straight days of podcasts. This is day one. And day one, we're going to talk about the final five games of the regular season for the Clippers, which was a five-game road trip to end the first half of the season. They went into the road trip 23-10. and 10. They came out at 24-14, and 14, so it was a 1-4 and four road trip. Um, not an yeah. ideal road trip. Go ahead, In Farbad. some universes, it's pretty good. It's not this one. Yeah. Usually lowest score is good if you're in golf, but nowhere else. Um, what was the biggest takeaway from this road trip for you? And we'll start with Shane for this one. Honestly, man, uh, going back through some of the film on this and, and just seeing what they lacked and what they, what they did well, I think, I, I think my hot take actually is that their defense is is what's sticking out to me on this road trip or what stuck out to me on the road trip and how bad it was for for multiple stretches. I know like there was a there was a point in time in that Boston game where they they locked down and played good zone defense as you as you pointed out, Justin. But I I, I just think for the most part, you know, that first Memphis game really pissed off Ty Lue. Um So they responded adequately in the next game but it just seems like it was very inconsistent defense and and that that's honestly something that's that's bitten them in the back multiple times this season i feel like they string together what three or four games of of stellar defense and then it it just reverts back to the same old stuff that that we've been harping on so i just think the defensive inconsistency far would you say the defensive inconsistency was a big takeaway for you uh that and just like 
I mean, there's a lot of things, but the defensive inconsistency, uh, how like their unhealthiness was just kind of like, is that is that how this team is going to be? Because, you know, there's certain teams or there's dynasties where like kind of like Lob City where it's like, oh, when they were healthy, they were good. They were just never healthy. It's like, is that what these guys are shaping up to be? Because they they can't seem to have a stretch of, you know, healthy play Uh, and also just. To me, in the in the ending minutes of the game, they just shoot way too many threes in the ending minutes, and not enough at the rim. Maybe in the entire road trip, when every single game came down to the wire, they shot two shots at the rim, and one of them resulted in free throws, and the other one was questionably could have gotten a foul call. Um, I do agree. The defense is a little bit of an issue. Uh, it was, I'll, I'll say, somewhat questionable in the first Memphis game. Memphis made a just a crap ton of floaters in the first mm-hmm. game second game they took the floaters away some to some degree memphis still tried them but they missed them and the clippers won they held them to 90, 99 points which is incredible in you know this era of the nba uh they lose to milwaukee but they only give up 105 to a great offense so their defense was actually really good that that game but then they had slippages against boston and they had definitely had a slippage against washington and I don't know. I mean, Farbod, you brought up like it's health. Re- it could be health related. Like, you know, uh, PG misses the Washington game with dizziness. Kawhi gets scratched right before the Boston game with back spasms. Um, Marcus gets a concussion in the first half of the Boston game. Like it's all these little things. And you you start to wonder, uh, you, you know, what does it mean for this team? But then I go back to something that Ty Lu said pregame before the very first Memphis game where he said – this is the time of the season, the week before the All-Star break, where good teams will drop games that they shouldn't. And that's exactly what the hell this team did. Oh, yeah. You know, when I see this team, I think Farbod hits on an interesting point that needs to be emphasized throughout the season. It's like, how many times have we talked about this team and, and split up their records by who's available and who's not? I think they're the only team in the NBA that we've done that for. Um, for the last two seasons consistently. And it's just because like Kawhi and PG, they have played 24 games together of what, 38? Am I 38. correct there? Yeah, it's most, like- Most in the NBA. Yeah, it, it's, you know, 24 of 38 is just not a good percentage when it's when you're talking about your two best players, your two players that get things going on both ends of the floor. And and I, I think this point also is worth, is worth harping on. It's that if you're- if you're talking about getting a consistent rhythm going, I don't think health I think health matters more for defensive purposes because defense is is all about you know people could argue it's about uh, effort and intensity and and that's it, but I would also say like you know it it, it requires trusting, it requires intelligence and getting a pattern and getting you know getting to know your teammates. And if you don't have everyone on the court you know, all of a sudden you have Reggie Jackson playing more minutes, Luke Kennard coming back in the rotation, you know, Lou Williams out there for crunch time. It's like, man, I, I just think for defensive purposes, they have to be together or you're going to, you're going to keep seeing the same problems persist whenever one guy's out, one guy's in, one guy's out, one guy's in. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. I mean, I don't know how much of their health is impacted by freak things like back spasms can be a freak thing. Dizziness is a freak thing. Uh, getting a concussion from an elbow to the head is, is I would classify that as a freak thing. 
Um, it's also a very condensed schedule in a short amount of time. Like they played 38 games in 73 days. Um, that's not a lot of time to get some rest. And especially there was, I want to say what, maybe three or four times they had two days off like between games. So it's hard to get practice time and all this stuff. And as we're going to do in the final episode of the three, when we talk about the second half, their schedule drastically changes for the second half compared to the first half. But, you know, you look at these final five games and it's like they shouldn't have lost the first game to Memphis. You can't lose that game. But then they rebound from that and beat Memphis by 20. They look great. And you're like, okay, you know, they lose a nail biter in Milwaukee. They lose a nail biter in Boston without Kawhi. They lose a nail biter in Washington without PG, but they were up by 16 uh, with a minute and a half to go in the second quarter of that game. And they just, you know, things went wonky. Um, I mean, to be honest, the Boston game was the only one where I was like willing to give a pass at losing where it's like, okay, you're suddenly down Kawhi. You suddenly lose Marcus. You guys are still in this game. And it's a more of a, it's more of a bad loss on Boston to lose that game. And the other two to me were just a, a pretty inexcusable when it's like, you're up four with four minutes left and somehow you manage to go scoreless both games in four minutes. Like, yeah, I think that's just think, a little preposterous. Yeah, you're right. I think the wizards one was, you know, if you're looking at it from a fan standpoint, I can see why the wizards loss is just infuriating beyond all levels because I can understand not being, being able to score uh, efficiently against the Giannis and Chris Middleton pick and roll, which is what they keep, kept trying to go against for some it's reason. That, in that Bucks game, right? Absurd. So I can understand that, but I can't understand not being able to close out the Wizards whenever you had a 16-point lead, as you mentioned, what in the second quarter there. So it's like, eh, you know, I, I think I think people have been a little bit too hard on this recent stretch for the Clippers. It's not the end-all, be-all. It's not going to be indicative of what we're going to see in the second half, I don't think. But, you know, that Wizards game, it, it definitely points a lot of questions at, at Ty Lu, at, at Kawhi. Um, now, I will say they, they missed a lot of really good open shots in that game, too. So maybe we shouldn't look too deeply into their offense there. You know how some mornings you wake up and you just feel ready to, I don't know, pull the covers over your head and go back to sleep? No judgment, of course. I do it too all the time. But let's make having the most comfortable sheets in the world the reason why. Don't love your sheets? Brooklinen has you covered. So, Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to find beautiful home essentials that did not cost an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't, they founded Brooklinen as the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without the luxury level markups. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and tastes. Brooklinen has over 50,000, yes, 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. They are so confident you will love their products, they even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. A full year's worth of a guarantee. And Brooklyn is so much more than sheets. They've got comforters, pillows, towels, even loungewear, and more. Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code CLIPS to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. That's B R. 
O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code CLIPS to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more plus free shipping. Brooklinen.com and use promo code CLIPS at checkout. It's just one of those things where I think Ty hit the nail on the head before the first Memphis game, which is this is a stretch of the season in which good teams will lose games because they just want to get to the break. And when, when you've played as many games in as few days as they did, they're probably looking forward to getting back home or just not doing anything for a couple of days. And, you know, I mean, look, it remains to be seen what they'll have learned from games like these. Like, you know, if you just look at it, take a step back and just look at it like losing to losing at Milwaukee by five, losing at Boston by five. Those are not losses where you're just like, Oh, well that, that shouldn't like, that shouldn't happen. Like that's a bad, like that's fine on the surface. Those are fine. The loss in Washington was far more inexcusable, uh, inexcusable to me than losing by almost 30 in Memphis. Losing by almost 30 in Memphis, I feel like the Clippers almost got demoralized by the stuff Memphis was hitting. Um, and it kind of just like snowball affected for them. The loss in Washington, I viewed that more as things started to go poorly and they kept trying to get out of it and it would work, but then they wouldn't do it on both ends. So it just, it, it never full, like their defense down the stretch of that Washington game was absolute garbage garbage I mean it to me it's I mean it, they almost looked identical to the how they did in game seven to be honest it was just <laughs> like how many wide open shots are you gonna miss and how bad a defense are you gonna play on the other end and then you lose the game and go scoreless and then you shoot a bunch of jumpers and don't take it to the rim it was like <laughs> almost the exact same it was like watching the nugget series that's that was the more demoralizing part to me where it was like they literally just shot all jumpers except for once. Or no, they shot all jumpers for three games in the clutch yeah. except for two shots, and that was it. And it was like, how can how can we repeat history so similarly? But then at the same time, like, I get people want to be really upset because it's embarrassing losses, but then it's like, how much takeaway is there really going to be from the regular season to the postseason in general, and especially this season, because this season's kind of like really weird. Uh, like you look at last season, the Lakers lost four straight. Didn't seem to matter. They won the championship. Miami Heat were ranked 24th in clutch net rating. Rockets were ranked third. Clippers were ranked ninth. Rockets couldn't close out a single game against the Lakers in the postseason. Clippers couldn't close out a single game against the Nuggets. C- couldn't close out games against the Mavs. Uh, and then the Heat, who are ranked 24th, destroyed everyone until they got hampered against the Lakers. And so it's like, how much takeaway is there really, right? The only real takeaway we had from the Clippers in the regular season that seemed to carry into the postseason was their ability to blow large leads. That was the big thing that carried over all regular season into the playoffs. Yeah, I think we've actually hit on it pretty well here, talking about how I I think the only way I would be generally concerned about the Clippers right now. And, you know, I'm always, no matter what I'm talking about, I'm always like, you know, don't sound the alarm, don't sound the alarm, unless there's something visibly wrong that that deserves to, to get that attention. I think you should just be, you know, be level-headed about things. But if they were losing these games and, and failing to look 
competent down the stretch with a full lineup every single game where it is where it is Pat Bev, it is Kawhi PG out there. Um, you know, and they're they're just losing the healthy games and looking bad doing so. Then I would be you know hitting the panic button, panic button a little bit. But it's like, man, like I just I just really do believe if Kawhi was playing that Boston game, they would win that. And I just really do believe if PG was playing that Wizards game, they would win that. So that's that's where I stand on it. So it's it's rather interesting. Um, the Clippers have played the fourth fewest clutch minutes in the NBA. They're at forty five. They're tied with Orlando. The only teams who've played fewer are Charlotte, who's played 43, and they've been insane in the clutch. Charlotte's been the best clutch team by a mile, and they've done it uh, in the third fewest minutes. Like, even on Raw plus minus, it's insane. Charlotte's just – Terry Rozier is hitting shots at the end of games that should not be made. Um, Houston's played the second fewest, but they're a bad team. So And then uh, Utah's played the fewest. So you're looking at bad teams and really great teams usually play the fewest clutch minutes because – they're either blowing teams out or they're getting blown out. So the Clippers have played are, t- are tied with Orlando for having played the fourth fewest minutes of those 45 minutes. I went and checked this, by the way, of those 45 minutes. If you had to guess, how many do you think have come with both Kawhi and PG on the floor? Farba, I want to hear your guess first. I have to look at the schedule, but off the top of my head. Uh, jazz game, which is one. Um, the one where they lost, uh, maybe the other jazz game where they won that might've gotten to five points. I think it did. Correct. Uh, those are two. Yes. Bucks game. Correct. Um, not Celtics, not Celtics, not Bucks game with both of them playing, uh, Brooklyn and Brooklyn. So those are just a few. There's been others. But how many minutes would you say of the 45? How many minutes? Um, if you had to guess, just give me just out of the 45 minutes that they've played the entire team. How many do you think both Kawhi uh, and how PG many do you think both of them have played? How, how many do you think both of I'd them have played? Like 20 to 22. OK, Shane, I was actually going to say 21. The, you guys are really close. The answer is 23. Mm. So they've only played half their clutch minutes. And we're talking about clutch time, which is already a very shortened sample size in a very shortened sample size season. And the sample size is made even shorter based on the availability of your two best players. Um, I'm not going to freak out about the clutch time stuff. Uh, It's fine if other people want to. Uh, It's just I, I feel... Like you look at the, what they're generating in clutch time and there's no way they're going to shoot like that all season. They're shooting 33, 34% from the field in clutch time, 33% from three. And this is the best three point shooting team in the league right now. I just, I don't know I, about that. Cause I've seen the Clippers go cold and I'm always like, there's no way they're going to do that for three more games. And then they do that for three games more. And then they, but lose. at a certain time you have to let the trauma go. I mean, they, that's how it's literally how they lost to Houston and Denver. Is no, even. I understand, but you got to let that trauma go and you have to view it through the prism of not everything is the same as the thing before it. Like I mean, there I, are, there are factors that change from like, are they letting go of it? Cause it's like, that's also an aspect too. Is, 
it can be a great shot, but mentally, are they, have they let go of it? Have, are they in a position where they feel confident that all these shots are going to go in the clutch or are they in their own heads at this point that they keep missing these shots and it carried over from last season? Cause that's a very fair question to ask about the team. I'm not going to question the mental aspect of this team until it's time to. Yeah. The only, I think the only thing I would question about them in, in crunch time and the list is very long of things that people have questioned. And, and I think that for the, for most part, that's preposterous. I think they've been okay. Um, they just haven't gotten shots to fall. And I think one thing you, you kind of need to look at is grade the possession or evaluate the possession when the ball's in the air. I think if they generated a good shot and you just look at it and say, okay, make or miss that you can live with that, then it's okay. But I will say like, Kawhi, like, I, I really don't want to criticize him in this sense, but it's he like, out. yeah, I think I just don't understand why he, he doesn't look to attack the rim. And maybe it's just because he knows that, you know, they're going to load up and he knows it's going to be a, it's going to be a three pointer for someone else anyway. So why not he, why not he take it? Um, but I just happen to believe thing, better things will happen. Good things will happen for this team. If, he looks to get a good screen or attack his own man out the dribble and use his strength, which he's probably the strongest person on the team and try to generate something out of that instead of just a, you know, a three pointer over a guy that he has three inches on something like that. I, I would like for him to attack the rim. And that's not, I, that's what people's, that's what everyone's saying, but he repeatedly just pulls up from three. It's um, not even from three. Sometimes it's just a, it's just like a contested mid range too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the interesting things I've that I think changed the Washington game and because that was the last game of the road trip, you get you could get a nice win there. I mean, all every win isn't always pretty, but wins are nice. You can get a nice win there. I think the one thing that changed it, and maybe this sounds crazy, but like, yes, PG not playing is a big deal. I also think not having Marcus, because it, it affected their closing lineup where they had mm-hmm. to actually have Surge or Zubots on the floor in the entire fourth quarter rather than, okay, now we can space with Marcus, and it took away some of their flexibility shooting-wise. The other wild thing is, if I asked you, what do you think Kawhi Leonard is shooting inside eight feet this season, what would your answer be, Shane? My answer would be 78%. All right. Uh, uh, Farba, what would you... You said 78%. Wait, inside of eight feet? Okay, I thought, I thought you meant inside of five feet. Okay, inside of eight feet, I'll go 68. Okay, uh, Farba? maybe like 58 percent feels like he doesn't get that many calls at the rim so like he probably is just missing shots and gets pissed off okay last year he shot 58.8 so far about you would have had last year's number like basically dead on this year inside eight feet 70.8 percent wow he's shooting just a little bit less inside eight feet this year than last year um, I will say, I think the spacing has helped him. I would like to see him attack more, but then I start thinking about it. Like, is he also trying not to just go to the ground, like get hit, absorb con, like save himself for the postseason? I don't know. I think that's a discussion for another yeah. day, like a deep philosophical discussion, I guess. And it's also worth noting that I think a lot, the reason I think a lot of it's overblown is the opponents we've seen him struggle against in the, in the clutch so far aren't really teams that they're going to see down the road, you know, potentially, I mean, you could see the bucks in the finals, obviously if that, if that came to fruition, but 
I like I, I'm not concerned though about him attacking Utah or the Lakers or the Nuggets and in clutch time situations, I think that he can get favorable matchups in those situations. It's just like, I think, you know, the, the boss or the, uh, the Milwaukee game was kind of wonky where they just, they, they didn't look good at all. So I, I think if you look at it through the prism of who in the West will he face in those situations, I, I feel pretty comfortable with him in those. The one thing I will take away from this road trip is absolutely how fuming Ty Lue was after that first Memphis game. That is the angriest I've seen him uh, post game after a loss this season. I remember uh, I got the first question to him and I asked him because he likes to look at the stat sheet. We all know this. So I said, do you need time to look at the stat sheet? And he goes, no, I'm good. And I was like, <laughs> all right, I guess we're just going to go right into this. Then. He might have um, been more angry against the Wizards or Bucks. The one where he's like, we lost the game. It's not the end of the world. And I was like, oh, he's mad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you no, know, I think that was him basically just trying to tell people, like, it's the game before the All-Star break. Don't get too crazy. You said it pretty, like, agitated. <laughs> just, like, I, think because, I think because people were trying to press him on what his overall feeling was. So he's finally like, whatever, like, kind of thing, you know. Um, and then you had, uh, you had, <laughs> then you had someone to basically tell them that their offense needs work. Uh, <laughs> he, he said, okay. <laughs> that was... Wait, wait! I missed that. When was that? This is oh. this will be off the off the record. I'll, I'll off tell the you. Record. I'll tell you after the show. Okay. Um. All right. We'll be back. Uh. Tomorrow, with the next episode. The next episode that you guys will hear from the three of us will be detailing and grading the first half of the season for the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, everybody, take it easy, stay safe, and we'll see you guys tomorrow. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.